Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, y'all. Grab your RDTN mason jar because it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today, we have a five-minute initiative of Dragon Castle, a review of History of the World, and a preview of a new game from Inside Up Games called Gorus Maximus. I didn't feel comfortable with that product placement. Thank you, Vanessa, and thank y'all for joining us for another episode of RDTN. This is episode 146, Blaze of Glory. I'm one of your hosts, Marty. And I'm the other one, Tony. Tony, I believe this is absolutely going to be one of the best episodes we've ever had. I really think that this will be in the top, I don't know, 140 episodes that we've had so far, in my personal opinion. And why would you have that personal opinion? Because I'm just looking at all the wonderful things that we're going to be talking about tonight. There is a game that we're going to be talking about later that I was so excited to play, and I just can't wait to talk about it because... It's just one of those things that just makes me go, ah, that was a good experience. And that game is actually History of the World from Z-Man Games. And we're going to go do an in-depth dive on that one. Listen, people, I know I have been grumpy lately. I can't help Oh, have you? Just a little bit. Even before we got on, you were telling me about a game or or something you were playing. And I was like, what did you think? It's not that I didn't like it. I just thought it was boring. Well, if you think it's boring, then you didn't like it. Well, it doesn't mean I didn't like it. It just meant it didn't do anything for me. I mean, I think I've gotten to the point and I need to readjust myself. And you and I talked about this. I just need to readjust myself to stop thinking about this game is like. I need to enjoy a game on its own merits. Because when I start thinking that this game is just like, then I say, well, why aren't I playing that game? And I think that brings that attitude out in uh, no, I talk. Well, here's the thing. I, I've said this before. When I play a game, I can always compare it to something else. And I go, well, how is this different than something else? I'm, I'm the same way, but it's one of those things if it's like, well, if it's like that, then I can just play that. But it, I don't think it's necessarily a bad game. I'm always looking for something that's a, a little bit uh, of a twist. That's why whenever we talk about games, I always say, what's different about this game as opposed to other games I've played. That's what I like to highlight on. And then it's one of those things, will it replace a game that's already on my shelf that's similar to that? I can understand that. But then for me, it's like, do I need to go drudge through these rules again? Do I need to learn some more rules? If I just reach over and pull this game out that I already know how to play, then why won't I do that? But you know what? I need to just put on my big boy britches and get over it. That's what (laughs) needs to happen. Plain and simple. Just just deal with it. So the panties are in the wad. Remove the panties, put on some big boy pants, and you're good to go. I know. Hey, I'll go California. I don't care. I just need to buck up. That's all there go is California. <laughs> no, no let, let's not do that. Okay. Well, you can't see me. Commando only, style. Yeah. Uh, commando style, whatever. I always thought that meant that your undies were just camouflage. Um, Commando is... I'm pretty sure Commando is... Butt naked? Is that what it is? Sando Sands underwear. Okay, whatever floats your boat. I don't really care, but... Well, no, it doesn't flip my boat. Like Kramer said... My boys need a house. (laughs) Well, we are a family show, a part of the Dice Tower Network. (laughs) And 
Now, Marty, on this episode title. Yes. Blaze of Glory from Bon Jovi. And you spell Bon Jovi wrong in the uh, show notes, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I know. That's a typo. Who cares? That's Bon Jove. Even though someone has officially won the yes. contest for linking all of the episode titles, they even went one step farther than I intended. So they get credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. I still made this one happen. I still said, well, I will finish it out strong because technically the contest was about just milestones for our DTN. I would have taken anything and they took it and said it was like getting in the network. You know, it was a drag beginning the podcast. and, And those were true milestones for us. But also in the years, those were key years for rolling dice and taking names as well. It was all linked together. It was brilliant. Well, it, it was, but uh, why don't you say what they are? Well, 19, well, I can't say, well, the first one, I can say it, but it was 1967. It was when you and I graced the world with our presence. <laughs> graced. <laughs> That's right. I've heard it that way. Okay. Yes, that was, uh, that was the Buckingham song, right? So right. 1967. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so it was kind of a drag. And then in uh, 1985, yes, a key date for us. And I skipped one there, but a key date, that was the year you and I went off to North Carolina State University and met for the first time. That's exactly right. That's when a good friend of ours introduced each other. And I went, oh, this guy has a Commodore 64 in his room. I want to be his friend. That's right. And he was on the first floor right next to the snack bar. So it made it even easier to come by. It did. And you had the sweet gauntlet machine in the uh, lobby of your um, dorm. dorm. That's right. The one prior to that, I believe it was 1975. I can't remember. I'm not looking at my notes on this, but whatever the 1970 date was that was the introduction of super jock football i know that's the one i'm like you're just pulling stuff there's no way somebody would have figured that one out well no i wasn't saying that but that was an important date in rdtn as long as with the song no, nobody would have ever figured no one to associate rdtn with super jock we've talked about it i'll admit you'd have to go back into the archives and talk about how we used to play the mess out of that in our apartment where we would sit there and beat the snot out of his little head <laughs> and try to hit the 100-yard field goals, even though they, we didn't even make it a game. It was just to see who could kick the longest. Uh, people like Super Jock. So for those who don't uh, know, it's a, a plastic toy that's shaped like a football player. And uh, you put a football in front of his foot, and you slam his head, and it makes his you know foot kick the football. And so we see how far we could kick it. Being geeky engineers that we were... Uh, we figured out the the scale of the football and how far we'd have to kick it in feet in order for it to equal like a hundred yards, and we wanted to see if we could pull it off. So yes, and then that's not, a, that's geek engineering games. Yes, but it was one of the games that we got to play. And then in 1988, we of course uh, with our good friend Lucky, we all got to room together for one year at NC State, which began. I actually had a friend named Lucky. Yes, we did, and he was he was God. But that's where you taught me old Pasha O'Hell, um, and we played spades and bubble bobble and everything hearts. else mm-hmm. and hearts. So there began the gaming, collecting of the baseball cards, which we didn't collect long enough because Derek Jeter sold for a ridiculous amount on mm-hmm. eBay. Really, and I stopped collecting before 1993. So anyway, the contest is over, and of course, 1990, you and I graduated. Yeah, except I graduated in '89. That's right, you graduated in '80. Oh no, what? 1990, we we lived together. Yeah, that's right. That's the that's uh, when we actually uh, moved in together with the friend who introduced us in 1985. It's circular, man. It's a, it's it's the circle of life. The winner, like you said, Tony, did a much better job of like, okay, this I believe this is y'all's 
life or whatever, but he applied it in more detail to the show of like uh, when the show started, when we joined the uh, Dice Tower Network, he did a really intricate job. And it's like, dude, that is that is close enough. Uh, we're going to give it to you. And in fact, we have a thread on our BGG Guild at 1589. If you want to go check it out, where he actually goes into detail on what each of those means. He did he did a fantastic job. So he deserves to win. Oh, yeah, I agree. And that was definitely Brett Waddingham. That was amazing. Yes. That was it was like, wow, that's better. Than, it's one of those things that's better than what we came up with, but it was still in line with what we were coming up with. It was kind of like us being you know, told through through song. Right. And he linked it. He didn't maybe the dates, but I was just simply going link it together in key key elements in RDTN history. So mm-hmm. any of that would have worked. So that's I had to get the years. I had to get the song titles. The people didn't mean squat, but that's okay. Yeah. And it's funny that you started out the uh, the prize package really small, thinking it would get a lot bigger over time, and then somebody figured it out. So I think we could do a little better than than the uh, the twelve dollars uh, that you listed for the gift card. I, th- I think we can do better for that and give a, a little uh, bit bigger uh, gift card uh, to Miniature Market for Brett. So we will be contacting uh, Brett. We will be uh, working that out. I think we also uh, promised him a game too. We'll ship him a game, one of our games from our collection. Well, a used game, but maybe we'll find a new game that neither one of us have opened. If, well, if we haven't opened it, then maybe that game's not worth sending. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, we'll work with Brett. We'll, we'll give him a list of games. He, he can have his pick. How about that? Uh, Let's do that. You know, but actually, uh, that's kind of ties into something else that we want to talk about, talking about the Miniature Market gift card. We want to talk about our Miniature Market discount code. Well, thanks, guys. You broke it. Yeah, you did. You broke it. God you ruined a good thing. Unreal. Unfreaking real. So what happened was we've been having a uh, discount code on our landing page on Miniature Market, which is miniaturemarket.com slash RDTN. As a code for 5% off anything. What happened was there was a big sale at the end of or middle of uh, May, and that code went viral. So somebody found it posted it in like the hot deals forum on BGG that everybody started using it. Yep. 400 plus people. Yeah. And then what, what happens is, is our uh, contact at miniature market said, look, we, we can tell where people are coming from to use that. And most people are coming from BGG and not through your link. And we went, so, so now what she said, uh, well, it's gone viral. So on May 31st, we're going to have to take it down and not renew it for a little while and let it calm down. So we're sorry to say that right now we do not have a 5% off discount code, but that does not mean we will not be doing it again. In fact, Tony, this might be better in the fact that we will only roll out a discount code or something every so often to make it super special. There you go. And I mean, because we know 400 plus people don't listen to this show. <laughs> yeah, she came back. She said, there ain't no way ain't no more way. than 400 people listen to the crap that you put out. So we went, well, yeah, yeah, you called us. Yeah, so she got us on that one. So they know us well over at Miniature Market. Speaking of Miniature Market, which you were doing mm-hmm. so eloquently about, I ordered when our 5% discount code was in effect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by, by the way, on the last day, on May 31st, Marty was buying some stuff. <laughs> I was like, A lot of people oh, listen, were. Uh, yeah. I was like, okay, uh, okay, I, I want that game. And uh, I want to, I want to like some cases and some uh, for st- storing a Shade Spire model. So I bought a case and some pluck foam and I was like, get over $100, $101, buy 5% off. Bam. Well, I ordered the expansion to Lorenzo. You did? Yes, I did. I bought oh, it. Oh, 
I'm so excited. I did. I thought that sucker was out of stock. Uh, they had it and I grabbed it. But so miniature market did me a solid. I got my 5% off. And let me just say this. I, I love this. Now I'll admit when we were at fun again, we had a the sweet deal of the express shipping. Sweet deal. Three days. It was here in no time, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, but miniature market, the five ninety nine, I can handle seven days. I got no problems with that. Sure. Yes. I, I've got no issues with that. So I'm going to take you through the timeline of my Lorenzo order. Are okay. you ready for All this? All right, here we go. I'm, I'm right. excited. So on May 25th, I ordered Lorenzo and they immediately process it within two hours. Okay. And on May 26th, it had arrived at the FedEx location in St. Louis, Illinois, East St. Louis. So it's on the other side of the river because you know the other side's the west side, which is in Missouri. But anyway, so it is sitting there at the FedEx side in the morning. I mean, we're talking 12.30 a.m. in the freaking morning. It was there. By 9.32, it left the FedEx to East St. Louis. All right? And then it proceeded for three days to Earth City, Missouri, USA. It took it three days to get to Earth City. Now, if you Google map East St. Louis to Earth City, Missouri, even with traffic, it might take you 45 minutes. (laughs) 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Now, once it makes it to Earth City, it sits there for a day, and then it goes, oh, we need to get it on a FedEx truck or whatever they did. They put it on a FedEx truck and within one day, it, I mean, May 30th at 2.50 in the morning, it arrived in Georgia at Ackworth, Georgia at 3.25 in the afternoon. In one day. So Mm -hmm. let's get this right, Marty. (laughs) It went, it took it three days to cross the Mississippi. Maybe the raft (laughs) wasn't on that side. Maybe Josie Wells had shot the rope out on the Missouri, on the on the Mississippi, or what? I don't know. Either way, it took it three days to go forty-five minutes. All right. Okay. Somehow it took it a little while to get there. Okay, that's fine. I understand. No, actually, I don't think you do understand. I think that's the whole problem. I don't. I really don't understand this. Okay. So it took it one day to go from Ackworth, Georgia, to Ellenwood, Georgia. Traffic is bad in Georgia. I understand that. So on May 31st, <laughs> it took it one day to get from the south side to the north side of Georgia. And if any, you've been to Georgia, you know near mm-hmm. Atlanta. This sure. is right around Atlanta. It takes a while to get around the loop because Lord knows Georgia's built like 50 loops around it. Atlanta's got 50 loops around it. So maybe, maybe they didn't want to use the Peach Pass. Maybe they didn't want to use the toll lane in Georgia. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they couldn't use the high occupancy because it was just a single driver in one truck. Th- that's it. Well, it took one day to make it to Concord, North Carolina. Hey, it's in my state. Excellent. Which, by the way, it took it one day to get here. And Georgia, Atlanta is just four hours from here. But for them, it took over 14 hours to drive from Georgia to Charlotte. So it sits in Concord from June 1st to June 4th. Three days it sits in Concord. Are you serious? I'm serious. I got it printed right here, and I'm reading it. So it leaves, on June 4th, it leaves Concord to go to the United States Postal Service of America. You go. (laughs) 
Go USA Post Office, all right? And it takes the USA Post Office 27 hours to make it to my house. (laughs) So, today's internet tells me that if I were to do all those locations and I were to go... Let's just me go with my fly and my expense. And I sit at Miniature Market's back door. (laughs) And I place this order today. They are going to put it in my hands in under two hours. Right. But, but it will take me, even if I drive to all these cities, according to Google, it will take me 14 hours to go from their site to my house and and people and okay i'm done that's <laughs> oh that was incredible i cannot believe that that is unbelievable so <laughs> it leaves their site in 2 hours and uh, then takes 7 days to Wow, dude. Heck, um, it took six days just to get out of the FedEx main offices. Yeah, so, no, I know what you mean. I uh, that That's funny that you say that, because I placed an order, when we're recording this, this is on a Wednesday, I placed an order um, the previous Thursday. I'm not getting it until Friday or Saturday, so it's going to take seven or eight days, and probably, like you, if I track it, it's probably going to go about the same path. Yeah, dude, so it's not a miniature market thing, right? No, it is not, Now I want to make that perfectly clear to everyone listening and to our sponsor. It had nothing to do with miniature market. If I'm willing to pay a little bit more for postage, if I need it that much sooner, then I can definitely bump it up for like $3 or, or whatever the next step is, and I can have it within a reasonable amount of time. But clearly, clearly, FedEx has not discovered the air age. I mean, no wonder they went bankrupt and the guy had to go try to save his company by going to Vegas and doing all the wages on one thing. I, uh, I just amazes me. Logistics. Logistics. This is what this company lives on. And six days to get it out of their spot in Missouri all the way over here to uh, Concord and their spot in Concord. Mm, amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what we need to do right now while I, while I gather myself. Yes. Let's, let's talk about miniature market. Let's, let's do a miniature market commercial. <laughs> do we owe, I guess we owe them something, right? I think we do. <laughs> okay. Let's do that real quick. We know miniature market has a ton of games that you can easily find what you're looking for if it's hot it will get back in stock quick but what you may not know is that miniature market is also a community supporter miniature market gives back if you have not gone out and looked at their site where they are giving back to the various greyhound and inmate prison partnership go take a read on that so not only is miniature market a great place to shop for board games that you may want accessories such as zen bins but they also definitely give back to the community so definitely go check that out as well as be sure that if you spend a hundred dollars you get free shipping and if you spend 5.99 you get seven days five minute initiative begins in three two 
one. Want to take this opportunity to talk to you about a new game Marty and I got to play called Dragon Castle. That's right, published by Simon Games. The designers of this game are Mr. Heglamar Hack. And I've really hacked that name up. I really apologize. Luca Risi and Lorenzo Silva. So I got that one. You got me excited. I thought it was going to be El Magnifico. No, no, it's not. But anyway, Dragon Castle is a tile game that you are trying to score the most victory points. Now, there are only three things that you, I'm sorry, four things that you can do. You may collect a tile from the top and collect its matching one anywhere else where its long side is exposed. You may collect a tile from the top and then collect a roof that you will use later. Shrine. Or you may collect a tile, I'm sorry, discard a tile and collect a victory points. That's it for the actions. It's that simple of a game, except for that long side, Marty. That long side was an (laughs) issue for our gaming group, wasn't it? Yeah, if you haven't seen this, is a whole bunch of tiles that looks like uh, the Mejong tiles with a bunch of different colors and different symbols on top of the tiles. And there's a certain way to stack the tiles at the beginning of the game, depending on the number of players. So you have like three levels of tiles. So that's what, what Tony was talking about, having to take a tile at the top. You had to take it off the top level. And when you take a tile, you have to take an exact matching tile. So if it's a yellow with three circles, you got to take another yellow with three circles. But there could be a yellow with two circles, one circle, etc. And the whole goal is to orient them on your player board in order to collect victory points. As soon as you have at least four matching tiles by color that are orthogonal on your board, you flip them over and score points based on the number that you flipped. The more you flipped the more points you have. Now, Tony, this is where there's some spatial elements here where when we talk about the rules and whatever this, you went, oh no, Mm -hmm. because you can stack tiles on top of tiles that have been flipped on your board and have levels. Mm -hmm. And when you uh, match tiles orthogonally, they don't have to be on the same level. They could be on different levels. And in fact, you want to build as high as you can because those shrines that we put onto your tiles, when you flip all the uh, four matching, four more matching tiles, on your board, you put a shrine on top. Those shrines are worth victory points at the end based on which level it's on. The higher the level, the shrine, the more points you score at the end of the game. So, Tony, this is an abstract tile placement game with special relations. Were you okay with it? Oh, just shoot me now. Oh, wow. It's not, <laughs> it's not the game. Don't get me wrong, people. This is not the game. No, it, it is not. I know what he's saying. Um, you're saying that the game's not a problem. You just have never been a huge fan of spatial relation type games. No, I can't do spatial relations. I I flunked that on my aptitude test. I cannot do, I cannot, when you fold this piece of paper, it forms this shape. I cannot do that. I'm sorry. That's just mm. not something I can do. So when you brought this game out and you said spatial relations, I immediately plunged into the dark depths of grumpiness. But... <laughs> But I did recover because I enjoyed playing this game. It wasn't that bad. There is that attitude of screw you on getting those tiles because you've got to look at other people's boards and say, ooh, he needs that color to build that. You know what? Mm -hmm. I'm going to discard that tile off the top and I'm going to take a victory point handle that big boy what are you going to do about it and there's what's neat is there's different types of tiles there's just common tiles but then there's also the special tiles and if you stack four of those together they may give you things like you can claim uh place two shrines at that time or there's special dragon tiles where if you match uh, those particular colors and flip them over you place two shrines and claim a victory point 
theme wise, you know, it's like, it looks like just Mahjong tile placement, and everything very abstract. Some of, of our gaming group kind of compared it to Azul because you're, you're drafting tiles and putting them on the board. But Azul didn't have the special relationship that this game had because you got to consider the Z-axis. That's yes. very important in this game because, like you said, the higher you go, the more points those shrines are going to score at the end. It wasn't that bad when my special relations didn't kick in, but I was like, okay, I just got to score points. I enjoyed playing this game, and if you like playing with the tiles and the tactile feeling, I highly recommend you give this game a shot. And for me, I, I enjoyed it. The, the Probably the negative thing I had was the setup. There are a lot of tiles to set up at the beginning of the game. That's where Azul kind of uh, comes out ahead because you just pull tiles out of a bag and, and place them in the center, like three on each of the circles. Here, you're having to take time to stack tiles, and sometimes the tiles can get knocked over. Regardless of all that, I do like special relation games, so I enjoyed it. So if you're looking for an abstract game that draws special special relations and a lot of replayability because there are cards that can give you special abilities there in the game, you can set up the board different ways, you should go check this out. It's available right now in stores from CMON. That's Dragon Castle. Five-minute initiative is complete. That's it. I am done with movie drafts. That's it. I'm done with it. Dude, I am I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I mean, when we did the movie draft, we thought there were going to be, what is it, a four? Four mm-hmm. pretty decent-sized movies. Right. Avengers, no-brainer, right? Uh, Jurassic World, no-brainer, right? Right. We figured Solo, no-brainer, and we were wrong. We were, oh man. And the fact that the Incredibles will be coming out shortly. Oh, Incredibles. Yeah. I'm, I'm Incredibles, Incredibles too. Yes. Yeah. And we had the contest. What's going to make more? So if you picked Solo, you're done. You're, you're done. Yeah. You could forget it. You might as well not pay attention to that contest because Incredibles could very well beat Solo in the first weekend, what Solo has taken nine or 10 days to do. Exactly. So for me, the draft. I'm I'm done. I am getting the first pick next year. It's a given. I'll admit my fourth breaking in isn't doing that well, but at least it's no Tully like Dan Patrice picked for his um, pull, where it's only gotten $9 million to date. For the uh, Dark Horse one. Yeah. yeah, for the Dark Horse. So anyway, but question for you about Solo. Yes, go for it. So I understand why it's not making as much money because Disney has swamped us with all this, all the Star Wars stuff, whatever. But no. Hey, everybody. If you go check out our YouTube page at uh, Roll Dice Take Names, I do a Marty's Musings every other week on the, uh, the weeks that we don't release an episode. And as of this recording, I released an episode today where I look at Solo and I answer the question, do I think Solo was a flop? And I give you reasons why. So there you go. Well, he didn't do it today. When you hear this episode, he did it last week. As the, the re- yes, I'm sorry. As we're recording this, I released it. That's right. That, yeah. So, anyway, it's out there. So go look on YouTube. There you go. But my question is. Yes. I, I know where certain things relate in the storyline. And we were debating where it fits in the Star Wars universe. That's me, my wife, and my daughter. And we were yes. explaining to our wife, my wife just where it all fits. The one thing that I don't remember at all in any of the Star Wars that sh- she may have peer- appeared was what, what Kiwa, Ki- I-, I call her Kira. It's not Kira. What's her name? You're talking about the actresses on uh, Game of Thrones? Yeah, da- uh, Daenerys. But she plays yeah. the, the, his uh, girlfriend. Yeah, we'll just call her Daenerys and, and we'll know who we're talking about. Does she show up anywhere else after this? Because I don't remember. She does not. Okay. Then what? <laughs> okay. 
Then why? Why is she there? Yeah. So here, here's my theory, uh, and some people theory. And and if you have not seen the movie, uh, look at our timestamp things. You may want to skip this solo discussion. The theory is Tony, from what I understand, that they thought they were for sure going to make a solo too. Solo. <laughs> solo you ain't going to be able to hear it because uh, i don't think we're going to get a uh, a two right now because I, I they left that wide open yeah they did with what happened to her because you're thinking okay she's never mentioned he never talks about another love interest where does she even come from right part that's part of the story i had an issue with now i will say i enjoyed the movie as an action flick it was kind of a heist movie. Mm-hmm. I just sat there and ate popcorn and said, okay, this is kind of cool. Oh, that's a little Easter egg. Oh, nice little throwback there. Oh, that's cool. That sort of deal. But I didn't really dive deep into the plot and the storyline. So I kind of brushed it aside, but I totally see where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I really did. I thought it was a good movie. But I think the reason why I enjoyed it, because there wasn't any of that force stuff happening around sure. us. Yeah. That's why I enjoyed it. Uh, so I was like, hey, good. There's more to this galaxy than some force that binds us all, that cr- that creates the good and the bad and all that stuff. And I know people are going to correct me. I don't really care. So, you mean dark and the light, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah what, the, the yin and the yang, so forth and so on. I was kind of my one question is where I thought she, I was sitting there racking my brain at the end of this movie. Where did I miss her in four, five, and six? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, you, you did not miss okay. her. I did not miss her. And she sure didn't come back in seven, eight, or nine. Here's the thing. I am not an expert on the expanded universe. So somebody may come back and say, guys, she shows up in a book or something later on. I I don't know. Great. That's awesome. As far as I know from the movie, she's never referenced at all. And that's what I kind of had an issue with is because, wow, for somebody you think that was so important to him... There would have been a reference somewhere along the way. I'm surprised they injected her into the story because she's never referenced anywhere else. What they do keep emphasizing is the dice, which was never really emphasized at all in four, five, and six. And all of a sudden, it's like this main focal point for Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Once again, not hating on the movie at all. Enjoyed the no, movie. Enjoyed I did too. Movie. It was just something I was confused by. Yeah, and that's that's what's so weird to me, Tony, is everybody I've talked to, it's so funny. Why is there so much hate for Solo? It's like, I've hardly seen any hate. No. Everybody I've talked to said they really liked it or they thought it was just a good movie. I saw hate for Last Jedi, but not for this one. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why it's not making a lot of money. I mean, I did come up with a bunch of theories on that, such as, like you said, uh, Star Wars fatigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie had a lot of problems getting off the ground. The first trailer wasn't received very well. It, were people just tired of going to the movies? You just had uh, Infinity War. You just had Deadpool 2. People are like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to see another movie till Jurassic World. I don't know, man. I don't either. All right. Well, thank you for explaining that to me. Now, I need you to explain something else to me. I'll try. Why in the heck would you release an app? Mm-hmm. You talk to me. That basically crashes on everybody's machines. Why would you do that? Well, Tony, personally, if I was an app developer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would not release an app that crashed on other people's machines. Okay. Well, that's good to know because obviously you might want to go work for an app developer who will remain nameless as Moday Digital. And basically they <laughs> they released an a, update to Ascension for one of the next expansions. And they redid all the artwork. They made it all fancy and nice new graphics. I mean, they took it to the next level. 
But when they released it, the Ascension guys that we are, the ones that play it constantly, myself, you know, Dan Patrice, Scott King. Oh, yeah, and Rob from Blue Peg, Blue Peg. <laughs> what, what was that? And Rob. Uh, because he got on me last time. And then just Justin Jacobson, you know, and he and I are all out there playing on this thing. And now I'm ready to just let all my games time out. They've even done an update. I am still having to, when I used to be able to say, do my turn, hit end of turn, next game, my next game would load, and I would be playing again, and I would be done with all my games that I'm playing with, oh, in in under 15 minutes. Now, between the crashes, the fact that I, if I don't want it to crash, I play the game, hit end of turn, return to the lobby, go back into the games, select my game, I'm talking five, six, 50 more clicks. It took me one night to get through all my games approximately between all the crashes and everything, approximately two hours. I could have ordered from Miniature Market and gotten it to my house quicker, probably. So you say they released an expansion. Did they like overhaul the rest of the app, the interface or something? They did. I mean, did it need it? Maybe. It didn't for me. But I, I'll admit I'm old hardware. I'm Gen 2. And this. Well, no, no, no. I'm just talking about the UI itself. Why, why did they need to update the UI? Were there people like complaining it's too hard to use or too confusing or something? I don't think so. Maybe they did. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just playing my game. Oh, and they implemented a chat feature that I'll never use because I don't need to go into that crap. And I'm just like, what are you doing? And then they just did an update and they moved the buttons around. I'm like, stop it. What are you doing? Who is beta testing this? Who? Now, I have a right to be grumpy about that. Well, yeah, you're a paying customer. I, I am. I really am. And I, therefore, I mean, you know, for my three ninety nine, I should get a lot more enjoyment out of it. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a shame to hear because I know you've put many, many hours into those games. Yeah, and I know it may be that my I've got old software. I mean, old software. I know my Gen 2 iPad is not being updated by Apple anymore. I know it's slow. Got it. But still... She was working good, and now I had to update it. Oh, it's just amazing. But that's okay. Enough about that. I hear you had a good time playing an app. Wasn't an app like on an app on the like the iPad or whatever. It was it was actually a console game. Mm-hmm. You don't keep up with video games much anymore. But there's a game that uh, was released called Overcooked, and this has been out for a year, maybe a little over a year. And this is like on Steam and uh, uh, Switch and uh, Xbox, etc. And the premise I always thought it sounded silly. You control a cook and it's a co-op game and they control cooks and you get orders for food that you need uh, to make. Let's say somebody says we need to make a tomato soup and you try to fulfill the orders as fast as you can before the clock runs out. That's pretty much the premise, but it got incredible reviews. And I thought, I don't understand what, what's the deal. So over Memorial Day weekend, I was home along with my three boys and it plays up to four people. And I said, you know what? I've heard so much about it. I'm going to spend 15 bucks. I'm going to get it for the Xbox. We played that game for like three hours straight. It's one of the most fun games I've played in quite a long time. The whole thing is, uh, so you're in a kitchen and you're controlling one of the chefs, but there's different stations. Somebody has to get the, uh, like the vegetable. Somebody has to chop the vegetable. Somebody has to put the vegetable in a pot. Somebody has to wait for the pot to boil. Once it is, you have to plate it. 
Somebody has to take that plate, serve it. Somebody has to get a dirty plate, go wash it to have it ready for the next time. So this madness is going on as these orders are coming in. The top of the screen says, hey, somebody ordered onion soup. Hey, somebody ordered tomato soup. And they have little recipes for them. Like this requires three onions. This requires three uh, tomatoes. They need a hamburger that needs a bun. You need to fry up some meat. It needs lettuce and cheese on it. So people just constantly frantically running around doing it. But what's so cool is the kitchen changes over time. So there's this one kitchen where there's two people stuck on one side, two people stuck on the other, and there's different stations on either side. So you got to pass ingredients from one to the other and stuff. It is so much fun. If anybody has is into video games, co-op, couch co-op games, I highly recommend it. But I brought this up because Stronghold Games is coming out with a new game called Kitchen Rush, which looks like a board game version of this. Same sort of deal is where there's a kitchen and your chef's trying to prepare food and you have a certain amount of time uh, to, to get food prepared. But how they do the time are little sand timers. Mm -hmm. So there's different stations around the kitchen to where, uh, and I, I'm kind of guessing by just kind of looking, I guess I haven't read the rules, where let's say you got to cook something, you got to flip the timer, and it's not ready till the timer expires. So, so when I go to Origins, uh, at the time of this release, Origins begin started, I'm heading straight over to Stronghold because I want to check that game out. That looks really fun. And if it mimics what the video game did, I'm all in. Are you? Are you going yep. to enjoy that? Now, the passing and all that, I can I can see where that's... I mean, it's kind of like the game uh, Magic Maze we played, where you're tapping. Well, at least you can talk, right? And, right. and that, that what was so amazing about Overcooked is it went from a game where we're laughing and stuff to it got super, super serious. I mean, we were super strategic. It's like, I need an onion. Cut it. Uh, somebody plate this. I'm going to clean this. I mean, we were just like clockwork. And we when we were in sync... It was, Vanessa was watching. She was like, I have no idea how you guys are pulling all this off. It was like a well-oiled machine that we were working together. That's what made it so cool. Well, I thought, we'll see, but that was multiplayer. So definitely if it's solo, obviously this game's boring. Be like running beer tapper. Hey, that's actually a good analogy because you have to, if you don't get an order out in time, the uh, customer gets ticked off and you lose points. Okay. And the quicker you get an order out, the bigger tip that you get. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of like root beer tapper where the faster you serve somebody a drink, the more money that you'll get. There is a solo mode where you switch between the chefs. Oh, that's too much button pressing. That's like uh, left, left, down, down, A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. So, yeah, so that app or that game has led me to being excited about Kitchen Rush is coming out from Stronghold. <sighs> I'm tired. Are you tired? I'm tired. I mean, this is the most energetic I've probably been for one of our episodes in forever. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it was going to be one of our top 146 episodes of all time. It couldn't be a bottom because I've gone back to the archives and there's plenty of that. <laughs> Oh, there's something else I was excited about. What's that? So we got a preview of a game, and I hate you did not get to play it because we didn't get it in time uh, before, well, last time I saw you. It's called um, Goris Maximus. Uh, this is from Inside Up Games. Yeah, uh, You remember that wonderful event we had at Gen Con last year? We played Summit. Yes. You and Rob were doing the MCs, and we played a game from Inside Up Game called Summit. They're coming out with a new card game, and I was so hoping that I could get this to the table with you because it's a trick-taking game. And I know that while you may not like special relation games, you tend to like trick-taking games. I love trick-taking games. Love them. Love them. Yeah. So let me explain this one to you with the twist, right? Like, this is what we talked about earlier. I was talking to Connor, who runs uh, Inside Up Games. I said, okay, it's a trick-taking game, but what's the twist? Because there's a lot of trick-taking games. So here's the deal. Your gladiators. There's different. Are uh, they in schools. a bowl? 
They are not in a bowl. They're on cards. And they're in an arena then. Very good. They, they are an arena because what you do, there's different classes of gladiators and they range in rank from zero to 12. And each of those is basically like a suit and you're dealt 10 cards and like a regular trick taking game. The person who starts the game plays a card and whatever that color is, is two things when it starts. It is the lead. I'm going to, they use different terms in the rules but I'm going to use the generic trick terms. Okay. So that you understand it and everybody else will too. There's the lead suit, mm-hmm. which means everybody has to play that suit if they have it. And whatever that suit is, is also considered Trump. And if people played trick taking games, the idea is whoever after play plays a card, the person with the highest lead suit wins the trick, unless there's a Trump card. And mm-hmm. then the highest Trump wins the trick. Very basic, right? Yep. Here's the twist. Okay. The trump card can change during a round. Okay. The first person uh, is when starting out with the 10 cards, who is first plays, and then you say, okay, let's say it was a yellow. You have a little card over here that says Trump is now yellow. If anybody ever wants to change Trump, what they do is they match the value of that card. If I play a five yellow, you can play a five blue, and then now Trump is now blue. So it's now changed. So that changes the game a little bit. The Trump stays the same after that trick is taken. So it starts out as blue the next time. Mm-hmm. So you, even though you may lead with a different color, Trump is still blue until somebody matches a number of a previous card played to change it again. So it's got the characteristics of Uno. Except that Uno doesn't have the concept of Trump. You still have to play the lead suit, mm-hmm. but you can Trump things. But there's also sloughing. Because the whole goal of the game is to collect points. Some of these cards have gold tokens on them worth one or two points. After you, everybody's played their 10 cards, they take all the tricks they have and add up all their points. Some of those are worth minus four. Okay. So there's some cards, you, and they're like an eight. So they're a high, kind of a highish number. So you need to ditch those cards. You need to slough them off where you can and mm. stick somebody with a minus four. So after you've played a round, you count up all the points. Whoever has the most points gains a one token. A victory point token. The first person to collect three of those wins the game. So you keep dealing out cards and and playing multiple rounds until somebody has three of those. And that's how the game ends. So the twist, Tony, is the fact that you can change the trump as you play. Okay. That's what's cool. So if you play a trick-taking game, I can teach this game in a matter of one minute. And even with the Uno concept that's in there, and one of the things that I keyed in on to, yes, I was listening to you, is the fact that whoever gets to three is the winner. Unlike where if you were to have a game where if you take victory points from one another, as you win tricks, that can last forever. This one is whoever gets there. That's key to me. In some games, when you're having to take things to stack up, Oh God, just, yeah, that's not good. That's not a good game. Now, the other cool thing about this, and I highly recommend people going out to um, BGG uh, site and looking this up. The artist is Kwachi Moria, and I apologize if I pronounced that uh, incorrectly. He is a artist that is featured on lots of things now. He's He did the art for um, Overlight, the RPG for um, Renegade Games. He did Captain Lux, which is really cool. Go check out the art for this. It is the most brutal, funny art I have ever seen. It's like, it's comic art, but there's like somebody's head who gets chopped off and his eyeball pops out. There's a woman with a spear who's like cut off an alligator's head and it's shoved through the alligator's mouth. There's an ostrich who has ripped off the head of another person. It is hilarious. The art is 
amazing. I, I love, in fact, I was just sitting there just looking at the art and Vanessa was like, Marty, it's your turn to play. Oh, I'm sorry. This is going to be on Kickstarter. And I think it should actually be starting on Kickstarter by the time this releases. So I highly recommend if Go check this out. This plays anywhere from two to eight players. Another beauty of this game is the game scales. The fewer players you have, your deck size is smaller, which I love. So what it does, it keeps the game length about the same, regardless of the number of players. Thank you so much, Connor, for sending us an early prototype. We were one of the first ones to get the prototype. This is a very different game than, than uh, Summit, which was a longer, more in-depth game. This is just a quick fun, trick-taking game with just a Mezo art. I'm not sure what the price point's going to be, but it's just cards and tokens, so it can't be that expensive. So Tony, if you if you like your trick-taking games, I think this will be right up your alley. And the fact it plays so many player counts from two to eight, that's just great. Oh yeah, that sounds outstanding. I'm ready to talk about a game we actually, that I actually got to play. Okay, and what would that be? That would be History of the World, part one. No, there was no parts in there, was it? (laughs) Mel Brooks uh, reference right there. All right, let's do it. We've been talking about the new game from Portal Detective, and right now it's on pre-order. Pre-order. Pre-order on Portal? Pre-order on Portal. Right now it's on pre-order on Portal's site. What site is that? Is that portalgames.pl well. slash en for English. So uh, what's happening is, is over the uh, the course of this pre-order, he keeps unlocking more things. And the amount of stuff that you get now is crazy. And if you, you know that if you've uh, ever pre-ordered any of Portal's games, how special he makes these. Tony, that 51st state pre-order was amazeballs with all the special tokens and everything they had in there. Well, he's upping his game with Detective. So if you're interested in that, I highly recommend going to check that out. And Tony, did you know that he's announced that he's going to have all factions of Nurishima Hex available in English? No, I did not know that. That is cool. See, there's another game I'd like to play again. Yeah, I'll play that anytime. Yes. Yeah. Anytime I'll play, I love that two-player game. You and I just need to get together for lunch and we'll play some Nurishima Hex. So if you've never played Nurishima Hex, all the factions will soon be available over here in the U.S., so now is a good time to jump in. I still love it as a two-player game, a three-player game, a two, 2v2 two two, four-player game. So that's a pre-order for Detective and the new version of Nirishima Hex with all expansions available. That's Again, you can check it out at portal.pl and then choose your language at that point. Recently, I've been very much into historical games. So when I heard about Z-Man games coming out with a new version of History of the World, which was originally a game from Avalon Hill that was released in 1991, I was all into it. I mean, it's right there in the title, Tony. If I'm looking for historical games, it's right there. Yes, it is. History of the World. The designer of this game was Gary Dickin, uh, Steve Kendall, and Phil Kendall. Now, I was excited to get this to the table, but when I first saw this, I was like, uh-oh, the, the rules, Tony, it's going to be deep. I see a huge board. I see a lot of miniatures that, well, actually, they weren't miniatures. They were like pawns, right? The, the What you used to, to track your military was, was pawns. All over the board, I thought, this is going to be confusing. But, Tony, that was the most surprising thing to me about this game is, rules-wise, it's pretty darn light. That's right. So light that even I 
can explain these rules. I mean, oh, it's Lord. Uh, don't, here we go. Don't, here we go. Because not like uh, we we can explain them in five minutes. Twenty minutes later, we were still explaining rules at game night. You talking about me? Maybe, maybe not. Okay. So here you go. Before your turn begins, everybody gets to draft a card depending on who the leader is. Then in turn order, based on the various series of the civilizations listed on the back of the card, guess what? You get to expand your armies. Think small world. You put your army out there. You move into a land. If you encounter somebody else who's there, y'all roll dice. The higher number wins. That person then gets to place his token there. If he's the attacker, if he's the defender, the other person goes away and gets to try to siege him and do all this other crap that you really don't care about. Anyway, that is how you expand on your world. At the end of your turn, you count up your victory points based on the various points that are on the board. And you move your little pawn that counts the victory points because at the end of the fifth, no, I'm sorry, at the end of the fourth epoch or epoch. Fifth. Is it the fifth, fifth epoch? Are you mm-hmm. sure? Fifth. Okay, fifth, fifth epoch. Guess what? Person with the most victory points is the winner. That's it. That's all there is to this game. Now, if you had started with that, we would have been done in that game in less than the time it took us to play. And then people will be going, but wait a minute. What do I do on my turn? What are these cards again? What's on them? Well, number one, one of the best things I like about this game is the draft, which you talked about. There's actually two sets of cards that you're going to draft. One is the Empire cards and one are events. And this is one thing I liked about this game, Tony, that's maybe different from Small World. In Small World and other games like this, you play as a faction the entire game. In this game... You play as whatever card that you draft from the Empire stack. So each of those cards represents a country or an empire during a certain period of time. And that's another cool thing about this game. In the first age, you start out like the Middle East. And that's really all there is. You're like like the countries around there. there. North America, South America, they aren't even coming into play because they they didn't exist yet. I guess they existed, but there was nobody there. Anyway. Get to the rules. Get to it. Now you understand why it takes 20 minutes. <laughs> Starting with the person with the least amount of points, they get to draft one of those cards. And those cards just basically on the card says, how many people will you have that you deploy during your turn? The person with the most points has an event card. And these are your typical type of event cards, Tony, that you can like just play on your turn. They give you benefits. Hey, this helps you attack uh, better. Hey, this gives you better defense. It just gives you little bonuses that you can play during your turn. That drafting part is, I think, my favorite part because I love drafting games. Now, granted, that was probably the part that took the longest, too, because everybody was like, I'm going through all these cards. Which empire do I want to take? Which event do I want to take? But it was probably also the most important. Are you done with the rules? No, I'll just keep talking about them as we as they come up. Oh, good gosh. Yes, I agree with you about that. That part about drafting the various ages and the way it lays out. Now, someone can argue that this is not the most thematic game in the world, but they are not seeing the actual history of the world unfold before their eyes right there. And based on which cards, it depends on the number of players, are in the draft deck. So, so then that, what that means is there's variability each game. Mm-hmm. In each age, there may be eight different cards, but if there's only four players, you just randomly pull four of those cards, which will make every game different. Yes, and for me, that was one of the big positives of this game was how it symbolized the various civilizations that existed during that period of the world and where they all started out. You know, it started in the Middle East and then moved forth. That was one of my biggest positive uh, was dealing with those races. So for me, it was like the world began to build. And I really like that part of it. The card drafting, I'm with you, Marty. It, it was taking, 
it takes a little long and you have to be thinking forward because certain ones you got to have, you had to play during that era. Other times you could hold on to them. So that was a varying part of the strategy and people had to think through it. And I think through multiple plays, you'll figure out what strategy you want. Like the event cards that you were talking about that I was just explaining. I mean, There'll be different ones moving forward in different mm-hmm. games. Yeah. And you mentioned on the back, uh, how do you resolve who goes first? And this was an important part of the draft too. The back of the cards uh, showed in order the way the empires were going to be played. And they had all eight for every age. So you may want to go first in the turn. You may want to go last. So that may determine uh, what you're going to take. But here's the thing. You don't know what people have drafted before you. And if there's only there was only four of us playing, that means four weren't even in there. And the person who was the leader at the beginning of the turn starts calling out the civilization starting at the top of the card. And as soon as it gets to one of the persons uh, that has drafted that card, they say, stop, that's mine. And then you play it. That had some strategy to it also. You said there wasn't a lot of theme, but if you know the history, the theme is in the empires themselves. Right. And that's what, that's what I, that was my point. That was my theme. If you're, if yeah, I, yeah. Because like there was, uh, there was one of the, um, empires in China that they could build the great wall and fortify their area. The Romans, they got like 15 people on the board where other people got like six or seven. So they were all about just dominating. Right. Mm-hmm. But what was so neat is as the ages grew, by the time we got to the fourth and fifth age, that brings in England, that brought in Spain, the Americas, that brought in ships. And then what happens was there were ships available for you to be able to travel around the entire map. And those weren't available at the very first turn because, well, they just couldn't do that at that time. That is one of my positives. Now, a negative side of that drafting is mm-hmm. if when the world begins, even though we're all clustered, there is the chance that maybe somebody could be left all alone by their lonesome based on that card. And that's part of the strategy of drafting, like you're saying. So if I happen to see that of all those four, when we were playing four players, now I'm sure the more players you get, the least chance of this happens. Oh, wait, I can be left alone. And this will become a victory point moneymaker for me. I can see where that may be mm, not such a good thing later in turns. And actually we saw that happen where we all had said, Oh, we got to do something about this because that person was just stuck in his little corner of the world and all, and everybody else was stuck in another part. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And that was also important part of the draft. Well, you know what? I had the chance to draft and be able to start a army or empire over here where this guy's or person has established themselves. So I'm going to go over there and try to wipe them out. If he's the point leader, he can ensure that I'll keep people away from me. So that kind of, you know, at the end of the game, I was like, Hmm, that kind of rubs me the wrong way, but it's part of the game. Okay. And when you first dropped this out, I'm thinking, oh, good God, dice and armies, we got risk. Thank goodness it was not that. And you know what? That's what scared me the most when I saw this. I thought I'm pushing little pawns around a map and we're going to roll. I said, this is risk and I can't stand risk. But the combat, the dice mechanic worked. We had so much fun with that. So let's say that you you have Rome and you got 15 uh, pawns. You must establish a capital there. It says, hey, put a capital out there, which is worth victory points. The little building is going to start popping up on the board that if you happen to be in that area, you get to claim those victory points. And then at that point, you can take another one of your pawn and move adjacent to any area that which you already were. So that's how you expand. And like you said, Tony, if I come into an area that somebody's already there, we're going to roll off. The attacker rolls two dice. The defender rolls one. 
And then the attacker takes the highest die they rolled and compared against the defender. If they, if the attacker wins, the defender's pawn goes away and the attacker claims it. If they tie, they both go away. But the most fun was if the defender won, because then the attacker has to make a decision. Do you want to siege? And when you siege, you have a little catapult. Now, the disappointing thing about the catapult was it doesn't really work. <laughs> it's just a little cardboard catapult that but you can't like shoot any things with it which i was kind of upset about but what you do is you have a catapult so i'm going to siege and you take one of your existing workers off your card and add it to the catapult it gives you plus one to the roll then you roll again well if you lose that you can add a second but what that's doing is that's costing you pawns each turn that you can't use the rest of the turn and you use up all your pawns and once you're done they're exhausted and you turn in your cards and that's it because you're not going to play that empire again, which is another cool thing. You're going to move on to be a different empire the next round. But those people that you deployed, if they're still there from turn to turn, they score you points. After you've done all that and you've exhausted your people and you don't have any more sorry pawns on the board, that's what they reminded me of, me of, of little sorry pawns, then you're going to score your various victory points, depending on how much control you have in that area that is marked off on the map. So that's very important. That's really part of the strategy. So when you're picking that card at the beginning, once again, those victory points are based on the various epics. So as the world expands, areas that were least in victory points will get better over time. Those areas where we have mass population, they go into decline, as I would say, where the victory points drop off. So they become less important. So all of that is part of that strategy that's going on. Also, when you deploy your first pawn, you dig, if it's on the card, you may get a capital city, which is worth two victory points. And then at the end of your turn, if you have so many resources for every two resources, you may put a monument out. That's worth a victory point. And that's how you're generating your victory points. Your victory points are not suddenly at the end of the round. It's at the end of your turn, which I think is a key factor, which for me is a very big positive in this game, because if it had been at the end of the round, that would have really made me grumpy and I would have been like this is stupid I'm not playing anymore I like that part of the game because the way I always ended up with the silliest tribes at the beginning and I got wiped off at the end of the round like you said it didn't matter no, at didn't the end matter. of your turn is when you score the points at the end of the round if you lost all those dudes well that that's bad for next round yeah. but you still got your points and at the beginning of each round like you said the point values of each, each of the areas may change they may increase they may decrease, which is also very thematic, um, as you said. And there's three point values per region. If you just have one of your pawns in one of those regions, you're going to get the lowest point value. If you have at least two in an area and you have more than anybody else, you'll get the second higher point value. If you control the entire area with at least three pawns, you get the highest point value. And again, that's very strategic, too, because as you're moving people around, it's like, ooh, this one's worth nine points. If I can go in there and wipe them all out and control the all area, I can get it. Ooh, this area has one of those resource icons, which you referenced, Tony. If I can collect that one and that one over there, that gives me a monument, which gives me a victory point. That part is very, very strategic. So the rules are light, but the strategy is there. But that brings me to a negative. Uh-oh, here we go. So this is downtime, pee time, whatever you want to call it. If I'm the first person to go during an age, and then I'm going to sit there for the other people to go, I've got nothing to do except 
cheer for dice roll, and maybe defend myself with a dice roll. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Dreaded downtime. Why is this taking so long? Started to creep into the game where I was like, okay, I'm enjoying myself, but I would enjoy myself if you would hurry up and move your palm. <laughs> I'd enjoy myself a lot more if you would do that. So that to me was probably one of my biggest negatives, especially if suddenly I went first in one round and then somehow a card with a later age came to me in the draft. And then I suddenly I was say third in the round of our four player game, man, I've got a long wait before I do anything, but at least I can strategize. Oh wait, no, I can't because I don't know what you other knuckleheads are doing to me before that round. The people taking their turns in front of me, how are you going to change it around? What do I need to do? I know where the victory points are. I know where my thing is, but maybe I need to do something to you to keep you from getting big victory points in the next round. (sighs) So more downtime than I like. Still had fun. Don't get me wrong. Yes, yes, this game, I still, uh, I had some fun. That's funny because the downtime didn't bother me at all. Because the entire time where everybody else was taking their turn, I was very engaged on what they were doing because I was thinking about what I could do. If I thought, oh, I can go over here, but then all of a sudden somebody established that area, then I thought, okay, well, I can't do that. I kind of need to go over here. So the entire time I was watching and my strategy was changing as it came to me so that when it got to me, I didn't have a lot of downtime. I had already thought about what I was going to do. But that's because you went later in the round, where unfortunately for someone like me, who kept getting stuck with the first stupid people in that area, I always was going first. Well, that's that's true. But like you said, you do have to possibly defend and get engaged in that point. Those event cards that we talked about, uh, you can only play those on your turn. Right. So really, like you said, the only thing that you're going to do when it's not your turn is potentially roll defense die, which... I get that. Now, this game plays three to six people. History of the world is three to six people. So for you, Tony, maybe three players better uh, because there is less downtime. Now, the thing is, there there could be less interaction. When we did play a three-player game, uh, that's the one, the first one that you didn't get to come to. There was a little bit less interaction because there's just one of many people on the board. But the turns flew. And I assume then on the extreme end with six players, there's constant interaction, but you does take longer before you get your turn. Maybe the sweet spot is three or four for you. I would say four, but constant interaction on the six. Put up a random number generator if you want to roll a die for me. I need to go pee. Okay. There were a lot of times that night that we played that we were hooping and hollering at the dice and having the best time because the odds are the defensive person will lose. And when they don't, and the person who attack must siege and then siege again, and we're high-fiving each other. That part was fun. That and we was. didn't mention this too. You can also, one of the things you can do on your turn is, is spend a pawn to fortify one of your areas. And if you do that, you put a fort in your area. That means when you defend, you get to roll two dice. Mm-hmm. Which was a rule I kept forgetting where I would have, I think is a huge strategy thing that we, in next play, we'll be definitely using more of. I agree with you, but that is people dependent on the hooping and hollering. Me making fun of some stranger when he rolls poorly on his offense, that may get me a busted nut. Well, well, but we weren't playing with strangers. I understand. We're playing with friends. But your point was, it's hooping and hollering. I'm not going to hoop and holler (laughs) if I got some stranger at the table. Well, that's why we don't play with people we don't know. (laughs) What? I'm kidding. 
kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, well, that was an elitist comment from history. It, it, of was, it was an elitist comment. That was horrible. All right. Here's the thing. Uh, when we first uh, started playing this game, uh, uh, one of our friends, Nate, said, you know what? This reminds me a lot of Small World. Now, I reached over the table to smack him in the face, but he stopped me from smacking me. He must take karate or something like that. I didn't want it to be here. It was compared to Small World because I'm not a big fan of Small World. To me, Small World can be a very hateful, spiteful game. I didn't feel that at all on this for some reason. And maybe it's because at the end of an age, once you resign your guys, you're not the Romans anymore. You're not the uh, Spaniards anymore. You're moving on to something else. Yes, you still have pawns that are there that could collect you points, but if you lose them next round, well, then you'll just establish an empire somewhere else. The conflict didn't bother me as much. I just kind of expected it. So that's one reason why I like this way better than Small World. I completely agree with you. And yes, from a standpoint of spiteful, I mean, there was more spite in Dragon Castle, which we've already talked about, where we were trying to mess each other up with the tiles than there was in this game. However, there was some backstabbery deception going on. I really think you need to go over here. Oh, are you sure you want to attack here? I tell you what, why don't you bring it over here, big boy, where I am, where I know you're going to spend some time because I'm in a forest, which increases my die roll by one as the defender. Oh, I'm in the mountains. Don't you think you really should get to that resource? Well, you're going to have to come through me. Maybe that'll cost (laughs) you some. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you know what? Game etiquette wise, some people get really upset by that. And I did some of that too, and I probably shouldn't have done that. No. It is it is the trying to talk somebody else into doing something to leave you alone. No, we're not in our elitist group. You can say it all you want. We're not an elitist group. <laughs> <laughs> Shit that now. People was like, those guys were a click. Don't let anybody play with them. Don't no, let anybody come on and play. You just have to find time <laughs> in our schedule. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, that's a good point about the areas that you have, because there are some areas that are harder to attack, like mountains and forests, which does, that does give you bonus rolls. I tell you, Tony, the big negative for me uh, was that it's a positive and a negative. When you get to the last age, there's no calculating victory points. When the last card is played, whoever has the most, game over. There is no like, okay, everybody counts your resources. Did anybody get any bonuses? That's it. If you're kind of far behind going into that last age, you're probably not going to win. And there, there's not that attention of like, ooh, can I maybe pull it out? Ooh, I've got this secret card that maybe I'll get bonus points that they don't know about. That doesn't exist at all. What you see is what you get. As soon as the last person takes their last turn in the last stage, boom, game over. Just look at the board and see who won. Yeah. So that's a negative and somewhat of a positive because you the ending is very quick. It, you don't have the downtime of our, everybody calculate your resources, divide by three, you get one point for every three that you have, you know, that sort of thing. I, I agree. And if there is someone that is a good 20 points out front, the game to me seemed over by stage four. I mean, you made a good run there at the end. The rest of us were just out of the running. So you got to kind of, can it be done? <sighs> it seemed kind of hopeless in that last stage. It really did. So for me, Tony, for History of the World, I typically don't like these games. I do not like these types of riskish type games or small world type games, but I loved it. I love the drafting. I love the theme. I love the simplicity of the turns. 
I do get there could be just some downtime. You can have it in a situation where by the fourth or fifth round, it's like, man, I really don't see how I'm going to catch up. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see how the world grows. I love to see how by the fifth age, the Americas and Britons come into play and they got these huge naval ships that can go anywhere. So for me, Tony, I will play this anytime. Anytime somebody wants to play a quote unquote dudes on a map type game, I'm in for this one. And I am as well. I would play this game. I enjoyed it. I loved how it just followed the history of the world. I enjoyed that theme part of it. I like to see how the races interacted. I like to see where my strategy came in. I did not like the downtime component wise. I wasn't, I don't like the hard plastic pieces. I wish these had been more of a rubbery type pieces that you saw in like ethnos and those counters, you know, when you're marking the map, I like the rubber, but the hard pieces, that's eh, just, that's a knit. I just don't worry about that. But it did bother me. It bothered me. I don't know why. Uh, there is one thing that we all kind of struggle with. It's kind of a last point that I forgot. Finding some of these places on the map, because these are old, old names of locations and cities. So it's educational. Hey, that's It positive. is educational. But it's so funny when you're drafting, you don't want to give away where you're looking. And it's like, where is this on the map? What is the name? I've never heard of this country before in my entire life. And everybody was doing that. It's like, I have no idea where this is on the map. <laughs> so a lot of the downtime was actually trying to figure out, uh, look, when you look at the empire cards, where they actually were. But that goes away, just like you didn't know where the cities are on Ticket to Ride. Yeah. That all goes away with the more and more you play. Now, we must answer the question. Because of something I said in a previous game, answer the question. I have had fun, and this game is it or not it. Which is it? I've already said it. I love this game. I'll play this game time I want. So it's it for me. I've had fun, and this game is it. And for me, I have had fun, and this game is it. That is History of the World from Z-Man Games out now. All right, it's time to bring this bad boy to a close. We need to end this. But before we do, got a little house cleaning to do. We got to clean some stuff up here, Marty. All right, let's do it. What are we cleaning? All right, first off, back in the episode of the Squirrelies, we had a contest that ran that had a song by Ambie, right? Yes, from Board Game Blitz, correct. From Board Game Blitz, she did this incredible song. And in that song, you heard various voices say a word. And the contest was, hey, who said these words? So first off, we will be contacting the winner. We apologize. I'm I've been lax on this, a little slack, but we ran into some issues with the gift that was where the contest winner was going to get, and we will get all that resolved. But anyway, aside from that, I did want to announce who the people were for those of you who entered the contest. This is the song that uh, in the Squirrely Awards that a bunch of contributors helped, helped with, right? Right. Then I thought I just said it. Are you like repeating the rules for me again? I am kind of repeating the rules. Just so just kind of a reference. This oh was, uh, uh, you're the game that I want. That's what she did. It was from Greece. Yes. Anything else you'd like to say? I'm done. You're doing great. Okay. Thanks. I appreciate that. Okay. It's like I'm with my wife. Anyway. <laughs> so the first one was squirrel. A lot of people miss this one for some odd reason. We don't know why, but Marty said that, but a lot of people said I said it. I don't know. We don't sound anything alike. I don't think so, but I guess uh, for that, I guess I guess we did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Moon Pie was said by Chris Kirkman. Yes, that's oh, right. Dice me. Mm -hmm. Dice me. Yes, Raxon was from Patrick from Board Game. Board Game. I'm sorry. A uh, Blue Peg, Pink Peg. Lignum was from Crystal from Board Game Blitz. Everybody got pretty much Kirkman. 
Uh, they missed Patrick. Lignum, they, everybody got that one. Ethnos was by the, our good buddy, Rodney Smith. Did people get that one? Yeah. A lot of people get, they lot, did? Okay. A lot of people got that one. Gentis was by the man crush, David Waybright. Now, did a lot of people get that one? No. Yeah, I didn't think they'd get that one. That one was that, tough. That, cause, because he didn't even sound like, I don't know that I would have picked him out of, of, of that one when he said it in the song. That was tough. Pit Crew was by Jamie from The Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast. People got that one, right? Oh, yeah. They got yeah. that one, and nobody had a clue on Rick Roll. Come on, people. Yeah, I mean, that was thematic on, on who would have done that one. And that was me, of course. So those were the answers to this. Those, to those. were the answers. Hey, am I getting feedback again? Uh, that was the answer <laughs> from um, the, the song that Amy threw together that Marty's already explained to you. So anyway, the most two people got were five out of the eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, eight. So five out of eight. That's pretty darn good, actually. That's, that's actually really good. So uh, we'll be contacting those people, and um, we got the, the prizes sorted out. The reason why is because it was originally <clears throat> a Fun Again gift card. This was before they went out of business. That's right. So we'll be contacting the winner of that. So congratulations on that one. Another contest that I've wrapped up here is we've got the uh, Age of Rivals codes. I've got to get those and verify that they want the particular code for that application. So in other words, if you wanted a Steam code or an iOS code or whatever, I got to verify that. So you'll be getting an email from me here shortly. So those are the contests that we had in the hopper that we were trying to need to clean up. So apologize for all of that. We actually do give out the prices. We just don't announce that. Yeah. Lots of times we just in the background, we just kind of go ahead and just contact people and, and get them out. And speaking of kind of an update, uh, we want to thank everybody that has supported us on Pod Pledge so far this year. Our campaign's been going about five months, and uh, Tony has been st- not studiously. Uh, do, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, laboriously. Yeah, is that a word? Sure, it's going to work tonight, so we can get to the end of this. Yeah, Lab- laboriously uh, getting uh, everything worked out. He's been ordering T-shirts uh, from Redbubble where people can go order on their own t-shirt if they want one. He's got the jars and the dice that he's been mailing out. So, uh, Tony, what is the status on that? Are, are we up to date or is everything been sent out yet? All the shirts have been sent out. All the, um, jars with dice have been sent out. I finally got my, um, mailers for the, just the plain dice. Those will be, and those should go out this weekend. So that'll be happening. And if you don't get it, or if there's any problems, just go ahead and contact us um, via our rolling dice email account. That would be awesome. That's uh roll dice tech names at gmail.com. Sure it is. And if you, um, have moved or changed your address, please let us know as well because somebody just got a really cool Mason jar and some dice <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's always a simple little surprise in there for everyone. When you open it up, it's nothing fancy. It's just a handwritten note from me and who knows what's in that note. People have been excited. Whatever you're saying, people enjoy it. Cause they always thank you for the note. Are you like getting all, all mushy in these notes or something? Uh, you know me and is that even possible. Okay, that's true. Um, I will say this, that if you have missed out on shirts and jars and dice, it's still a lot of time to get in. We have seven more months in our campaign. If you would like to support the show, you can go to podpledge.com slash RDTN, and we have multiple pledge levels. The great thing about PodPledge is you can give a one-time pledge, or you can give a recurring pledge. And if you give a recurring, once you meet a certain level, 
then you get that award. So once you meet the dice level, you get it, meet the jar level, you get it, etc. So uh, we've kind of, uh, we had a big bump at the beginning and then it's kind of slowed down a little bit. We are over halfway to our goal. We had a goal of $5,000 and we were around 27, 2800. So we would like to use this time to say, Hey, let's get a little bump up and get back on track to that. And again, everything that you contribute to us goes straight towards the show. It does not go to pay for, I don't know, gas. <laughs> clothes everything is goes back into the show with equipment and mics tony got a brand new shore sm57 mic and and we're trying to keep the equipment up to date and it helps with any expenses we have such as tony we have new ribbons that we're going to be giving out this year i'll be giving out at origins and we use our pod pledge money for that i can't wait to show those off and uh we got some <laughs> we need some new business cards with our new logo so that took care of that so thank you for all those that have contributed and if you'd like to contribute you can do so at podpledge.com slash rdtn was that begging enough or do i need to do more begging uh, i think you've begged enough probably some of the neatest things is the automatic contest entry that that's always nice. I didn't mention that, which is actually one of the lowest levels. Ten dollars, you get automatically entered into any contest where there's a random drawing. That is correct. And then the next one is entry into the Slack channel where you get to irritate me and Marty even when we're recording an episode. Thank you, Jerry. That's happening right now. Yeah, people are are, are talking to us on Slack as we record, which is fine. And uh, and other things we got to see incredible, incredible pictures from Doctor Spongey. I don't honor Spun Jay. I guess that's how you do it from his Galapagos trip. That was amazing. Oh, God, those pictures. Yeah, we have fun on our Slack channel. We, we talk do. about all sorts of things. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's intimate. Right. We share our deepest, darkest secrets in there. And one last thing before we really go too deep there. So, oh, boy. First off, yes. so I post a poll about breakfasts at hotel. And yes. within... Two, three days, you know, within usually two days, I get my max response on my polls over at our Board Game Geek Guild number one, five, eight, nine. I get all about 70 responses usually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, sure. uh, so hotel, I get these incredible responses, you know, people talking back to me. Then I go back and I post a poll about vegetables. And in the same amount of time, people don't eat vegetables because I've only got about 40. So half as much. People aren't interested in vegetables. Put something fattening out there. You talk about cakes, pies, ice cream. People are in. You talk about your favorite vegetables. People are out. I was just, kind of, I just find that interesting. I just, I just like that. That's a social thing, a social experiment. Well, like somebody said, you didn't include the good vegetables. You didn't include like green beans and peas and corn. Those are vegetables and some of those are very tasty. But I knew I couldn't get them all. So that's why I went to a certain genus. So you picked the nasty ones. Well, I'm curious if maybe I'm missing it. Kale chips? Hey, who knows? I'm, I'm really excited about that. So you never do know if you're not participating in the polls over at Board Game Geek. You're not missing anything. <laughs> I thought, you know, sometimes when, when you think you know what somebody's going to say, you're yeah. going to finish their sentence for them. And it's like you're missing. All, and then you just go, you ain't missing anything. You, missing so anything. I, I, you, you went to a different place, but... um. That's typical RTDN fashion right there. What can I say? So have fun at Origins. And while you're there, Marty, keep rolling dice. And taking names. Thanks 
Thanks for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram Dyson Names, like us on Facebook, join our BGG Guild 1589, and come back next episode for an Origins recap. All right, Marty, I want you to tell me which is your favorite. Mel Brooks, the Spanish Inquisition, Monty Python, Spanish Inquisition. Monty Python, Spanish Inquisition, because... Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition! Broken Token keeps coming out with some amazing inserts. And what's so cool, it's not always inserts for the brand new games. They'll take games that are older and popular and come out with inserts for those. For example, like the Legendary Small Box. If you play the Legendary game, there's an insert now for it. If you're into Spartacus, they just released a new Spartacus insert, which holds all the cards, nice little trays for tokens. And if you're going to be at Origins or Gen Con this year, they always have a wonderful booth. They always have great deals and they always sell out of some of their more popular inserts. So if there's one that you're looking for, buy it early or it'll be sold out by the last day. And if not, you can always go and order at thebrokentoken.com. <laughs>